Welcome to Asia Perspectives from Economist Impact. I'm Charles Ross, Principal of Policy and Insights, and our topic today is part of the Now for Next Leaders Dialogue, a platform for India's business leaders to share the experiences they are facing now and provide insight into the strategies they are deploying to prepare for what comes next. The program is supported by Google, but as always, our research is independent and editorial control remains with The Economist. Now, on this podcast, I want to focus on one of the biggest issues and opportunities facing Indian society, that of enabling all members of society to benefit from the advantages of the digital economy. But to do this, we need to overcome a myriad of inclusion challenges, ranging from digital skills to access and usability. A full analysis of the research, which is the basis for this discussion today, can be found on the content hub nowfornext.in. Together with my two excellent guests from the worlds of academia and business today, we'll be discussing the impact COVID-19 has had on digital inclusion in India, how this has led firms to adapt their own operating models, and what more can be done to advance inclusion in the future. So please welcome our guests. First up, we have Adverta Naya, co-founder of Nika and CEO of Nika Fashion. Nika is one of the most exciting businesses in India at the moment, and the first unicorn in India to be headed by a woman. A trailblazing e-commerce company founded in 2012 to make beauty, wellness, and fashion products more accessible to more people in India. They also bucked the e-commerce trend by adding 84 offline stores, the first in 2018, just before the pandemic hit. So I'm interested to hear a bit more about how that went. Advata, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Charles. It's a pleasure to be here. Excellent. And Raul Day is Professor of Information Systems at IIM Bangalore. He joined IAMB in 2002 and served as a Hewlett-Packard Chair Professor at ICT for Sustainable Economic Development from 2004 to 18. He teaches courses in artificial intelligence and information systems. His primary research interests are in AI ethics, e-government systems, open source, digital payments, telemedicine, and ICT for development. Large scope of focus there, Raul, but put you very well placed to help us tackle this topic of inclusion. Raul, welcome to the discussion. Thank you, Charles. Pleasure to be here. Excellent. Thank you both very much for being here. Before I get onto our discussion about inclusion, I just wanted to start with both of you. A quick question, which I've been asking all podcast participants over the last year that we've been running this Now for Next program, and it is how would you rate business sentiments about the Indian economy at the moment? Over the course of the year, we've seen it sort of ebb and flow. It was negative in June and improved through August and October as we felt like we're sort of getting over the worst of the pandemic before falling back a little recently as India grapples with its third major wave of COVID-19. Perhaps we can start with you, Raul, and, and see, do you agree that the sentiment sort of towards the Indian economy is, is quite good at the moment, but potentially sort of slightly lower than it was in October last year? I think so, yes. Yes, there has been a slight dip because of the war that just started yesterday. So the sentiments are a little muted, but otherwise, yes, I think so. Excellent. Our data doesn't quite keep up with progress from yesterday, but you are right. If we ran this again, I'm, I'm sure we would see some certain uncertainty. Advata, what about yourself? 
Yeah, I think, uh, you know, sentiment will obviously vary across industries and, uh, you know, types of companies, but at least from where we sit, which is a very new age, digital first, technology driven, e-commerce business in the more premium space, we think sentiment is great. I think our business has been growing incredibly well through COVID, frankly. And I think what we have to credit is that there's been a massive digital wave and a digitization that has been accelerated as more folks were, you know, at home and not able to kind of step out. So I think our companies on the e-commerce side are definitely seeing a very strong sentiment and very strong growth rates. Really positive to hear that. It is a sentiment I'm seeing from or hearing from lots of uh, sort of companies working in your sector. It's probably a topic for a different podcast, but this sort of it has its own challenges, that growth, namely the one sort of people keep throwing up at me is a, is a challenge around finding the talent to be able to support that growth and the, and the people. I suspect that might be a, a challenge which you're sort of grappling with as, as well. But let's me move on to the uh, sort of topic at hand here around inclusion. And in our most recent survey for the Indian Business Barometer, we found that 47% of Indian business leaders assert that setting and pursuing non-financial objectives must not take a back seat to meeting financial targets. This is a pretty resounding statement from the business community that we must be investing back into the societies into which we operate. But start with you, Rahul, and understand why do you think business leaders are putting such a focus on financial objectives like trying to improve inclusion? What does the corporate world have to gain from this? Yes, we have a very large population in India and being a developing country, we have seen a growth in the inequality. So there are certain sections who are doing very well and they are growing and they are riding this massive digital wave that is happening. Uh, there is another section which actually does not have access. And it makes perfect sense to focus on the non-financial uh, aspects to bring a large part of this population also into the folds of economic development. That part is, is very clear to businesses. And hence, there has been a lot of effort which has come from traditional businesses as well as the startup community which has stepped up and said, uh, let us do things now which will address what has been called the base of the pyramid populations. So you see work in, in healthcare, in education, in uh, gig economy, uh, in uh, companies like Nika, which are reaching out to a fairly large population and creating these markets which never existed before. So that part is very important to grow the overall economy. Excellent. Um, and I guess you're talking about sort of growing the base here. Another really important part of this is to sort of growing the top of the pyramid as well and the leaders in the business world as well. And Advata, the Nike is a, it's a female founded and run firm um, with uh, Falguni Naya, your, your mother, becoming India's first female self-made billionaire in 2021. Great achievements building such an amazing firm, but I'm somewhat surprised that I guess it took till 2021 for such an achievement to occur for a woman to be in this sort of position. And I wonder what sort of learnings do you think other female entrepreneurs could take from the experience of sort of, I guess, Nike more generally and potentially your mother in particular? 
and yourself, of course. You know, Indian women do have um, some issues sort of advancing in terms of their career. And I think these uh, issues really differ because it's a very large population and very large different, uh, you know, socioeconomic backgrounds and each kind of segment has their own concerns. So I find it a bit hard to generalize completely. So for my mother, actually, I always say that I don't think, uh, you know, she can be compared to some of the other women who are struggling. She had a very long and illustrious career as an investment banker. And I think for her, raising capital, pulling the right teams together is very different than when you talk about a 22-year-old woman without necessarily neither the financial nor the legacy backing. So I think the concerns are different across the types of women that we're really talking about. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I think even for someone who is as uh, you know well set up as her, for her to be the first woman, I think was uh, it is telling. And I think um, I think it's a global problem that there isn't enough venture capital money going to women founders, that there isn't enough excitement around you know women-led companies. But I think it's very dramatically and very quickly changing. Of course, part of promoting and advancing inclusion is having sort of the right role models, creating awareness about what is possible and what can be achieved. And absolutely, NICA is, is sort of helping that just by doing what you are doing. So that's excellent to, to really positive to see. I just want to move on and, and focus a little bit more on sort of COVID-19 um, and its sort of impact on inclusion. We asked some business leaders around this, what the most pressing challenge of inclusion facing Indian society today is. And they said that ensuring equal and affordable access to healthcare was the number one, followed by education. Probably unsurprising to you, sort of they come in at sort of one and two, particularly the sort of the healthcare one, always been important, but undoubtedly more important in terms of its prominence, need and, and awareness at, at the moment. I mean, just thinking about those two, are they surprising to you, Raul, sort of healthcare and education being in the top two? If not, can you talk a little bit more about what you're seeing the impact of COVID-19 might be on those two factors? Sure. Healthcare and education are important, but I would place digital access at a slightly higher level than that. Digital access in India is still not available to about 50% or more of the population. They don't have access to the internet, either through a phone or through a computer connection. And that creates problems of its own. If you look at healthcare, uh, although the numbers for healthcare are pretty good, we seem to have the WHO standard for the number of doctors needed for the population, per thousand of population. But the difference between urban and rural is very significant. So urban areas, it's, it's pretty good. Rural areas, it's dismal. It drops very significantly. Specialties, you know, doctors who have specialties, they're just not present. Number of beds is insignificant. It drops. We are at about the half of the world rates. So healthcare and use of telemedicine for healthcare purposes is growing. There are many startups which are using technology of various kinds, not just telemedicine is a very significant area. Education is another one which is very badly affected, which was badly affected during the COVID-19 pandemic. And uh, this was because it was all school from home, college from home. And for students who have access, no issues, again, urban children and urban students, rural areas, it was really sad. Even for uh, an elite institution like ours, we saw that our students 
are simply not being able to connect comfortably from their hometowns. So there is a fair bit of work going on. I'm aware of many startups which are working in this space who are trying to remedy this situation. But I would add a third one to this, which is actually the gig economy. So there are many people who are, you know, the work from home culture in organized industry is fine. If you don't go to office, you work from home. But for the unorganized sector, this has become, a, the COVID was a hugely problematic period. People who work with their hands just couldn't go to work as such. So today there are again many, many startups which have come up, which are uh, based on the broad principle of the gig economy, which are using these uh, digital devices to connect up labor to businesses. And that, I think, is a positive sign, although this is a significant part of the digital inequality that we are facing. Yeah, thanks for really calling out that access piece. It's one of the sort of bits that we, we missed in these survey findings because it is it's obviously the first hurdle that you need to get over to be able to, to access. And it's often sort of regarded as something that we have, we've achieved in lots of different places around the world, but, but actually it's, it's, it's not really the case. There is still a, a huge issue needed here. I know there were some stories at the very start of the pandemic how you know, there, there are people sort of in, in the US, for example, who just did not have access and, and they didn't have the tools if they did have the access to be able to um, continue with education and, and accessing online services and things like that. And you think that's in the US, you know, you think about other parts of the world, it's undoubtedly going to have the same sorts of issues and possibly tenfold times that as, as well. So just thinking about the impact that COVID-19 has, you've talked about the impact on sort of some of those inclusion challenges we've had there. It's also had a big impact on companies themselves. And Vata, I'd love to sort of hear from you how Nike has sort of responded to COVID-19, have adapted their operations and business models in response to some of those, those challenges that the pandemic might have thrown your way in terms of, sort of, sort of supply and demand and, and being able to sort of engage and access with your consumers. Can you talk a little bit about that? I'm fascinated, particularly that first stat I called out where you were rapidly opening bricks and mortar stores just before the pandemic. Um, I wonder if that has sort of been a particular challenge that you've had to face given the timing. I think it's definitely been a tricky two years, um, you know, for businesses with regard to COVID. Uh, you know, I have memories from, you know, when the first lockdowns were announced a year and a half ago now, almost two years now, there was just so much confusion, right? Because the governments weren't allowing e-commerce to operate at all. And there was a period for which all our operations had to come down completely. That was a very scary time because, you know, we just didn't know. You never plan for a zero revenue world. You always plan for you know slight dips versus budget, but you don't plan for a zero revenue world. So that had very stressful implications for us as we were leading the business. I think very rapidly from there, the government actually allowed e-commerce to start operating. And in fact, that's when e-commerce saw a big boom and, and we really benefited from that because it was one of the few industries that was allowed to operate. So I think one big learning was just, you know, COVID made us extremely nimble. It made us extremely resilient to deal with all sorts of curveballs that the government would throw in terms of, um, you know, what is allowed and what is not allowed. And we just really came together very well as a team to work through some of these interesting permutation combinations of what one could ship versus what one couldn't ship. 
I think more tactically speaking, something we had to build out was a very strong omni-channel execution. So we do have physical stores, you know, because physical stores have been most deeply impacted during COVID. We actually built the ability to ship product to customers who ordered online, but from the physical stores. So our inventory models became very fungible. And so I think, uh, you know, COVID really forced us to innovate in that regard as well. So that was a great piece of learning for us. And then finally, I think COVID has really forced companies to rethink workforce management because it, again, forced us to send 3,000 people back to their homes. You know, as Rahul mentioned, even we face challenges getting our employees to have the right level of internet connectivity, to have the right setting at home. We face challenges trying to get all of us to work more remotely. So I think, again, like transitioning to the work from home in a place where it's not that internet connectivity is a complete given was uh, some of the challenges we've had to work through. Interesting you should say that. We know some of the sort of more traditional companies had those specific work from home challenges, like, for example, all their employees having desktops, which they couldn't just pick up and, and take home. And so having to sort of you know, queue up at the latest IT local IT store to buy laptops and things like that. Do you think there was sort of some advantage in being a, a newer firm in terms of the sort of infrastructure you had to, to respond to this? Yeah, I mean, I think, um, sure, there was probably some advantage. You know, our, our teams have laptops and we have strong IT departments that were able to roll it out and help people out. But I think what definitely struck me as, you know, someone who, who was managing her team is that everyone had a different work from home experience. And I think the people who loved their work from home experiences and who don't want to come back to the office are the truly privileged because they have nice homes and they have good internet. But I would say the bulk of people, 60, 70% of our teams were like, when can we come back? Because we can't work at home. We we have small spaces, which we share with, you know, three to four family members. Um, we don't have good internet connectivity. We don't have space to set up a work from home station. So I think what really struck me in work from home was it is almost insensitive to say that work from home is preferable and we should give flexibility to our employees because for a lot of people, that's just not a luxury they have. I think you're absolutely right. Our firm is going through this process as well of working out what our, our work from home policy is going to be going forward. And it's so difficult to create one one size fits all for, for everybody because we are not all one size. People in, in locations around the world operating from different environments and in different situations. And in order to be able to sort of include everybody within your sort of work environment, um, you have to have different policies, different ways of allowing people to, to participate like that. It'd be really interesting to see what these work from home policies look like going forward. The idea around advancing inclusion and sort of what we can do to improve inclusion for everybody. And let's start with you, Rahul, again, on this and, and sort of to understand a little bit from you what you're seeing out there in the marketplace. What are companies doing to advance inclusion, either sort of directly or indirectly? Give us a feel for what's going on in the market. Both startups and big companies are working very well. I'll give an example of uh, language inclusion. So to be on the internet, it helps to know English. It is the dominant language of the internet. In India, it's only about 12 to 15% of the population that speaks English, that knows English sufficiently to use it on the internet. So to address this, several startups have come up which are providing facilities which will work in Indian languages, several Indian languages. Hindi is the dominant one, so there are lots of them working on that. I would say companies like Google and Microsoft are taking the lead in this, but there are many startups which are working on it. 
if you look at the inclusion of healthcare, I've already mentioned this. So there are several startups in healthcare which are trying to build solutions, offer solutions for diagnosis at very low cost. In fact, some of them are trying to bring down the cost of, uh, you know, doing a basically a blood test by several several factors. A very large chunk of it can come down. The cost can come down. Others are making these devices which can go into rural areas to do things like you know breast cancer detection. Uh, there are of course many established hospitals which have been doing it for eye care and other. So this is healthcare uh, education. Also, there are many many startups which have been you know there are some very famous ones like Byju's, which are addressing the vernacular market and they are addressing rural areas through digital means. So this effort is excellent. Uh, I mean, not to mention there are many other startups which are working in that gig economy space who are trying to reach out to markets, rural areas to ensure people are able to access. So today, if you talk about smaller towns, we call them B-class, C-class towns, even they have at least the beginnings of these kinds of efforts to reach out to them. Really interesting to sort of hear what startups are doing within uh, India to help advance inclusion. Are we supporting them enough? Is there enough funding out there for startups to, to, to focus on what they need to? Yes, there is. <laughs> this is the possibly the best time in India to be to do a startup. The capital markets are buzzing. Uh, if you just count the number of unicorns, as we call them, last year there was a bumper crop of unicorns. Excellent. The ecosystem is, is supporting. Advata, um, Raul's been talking a little bit about some of those inclusion sort of challenges that we might have, which which might be things like accessibility, internet access, local language um, challenges as well. I was wondering what Nike has been doing to sort of open up access to its products and, and advice to a sort of a wider group of people and, and how successful this approach might have been to um, expand the size of your market. You know, I think everyone has to think about inclusion in some way. Even as a company, we're always thinking about how do we get to the next leg of customers Though I have to preface by saying that Nika is very much, um, you know, a top of the pyramid kind of consumer product. But really for us, if we're broadly at 15 million consumers today, even to get that next 5 to 10 million, uh, we have to think really hard because I think what brought us here doesn't take us to that next leg of customers. So things that we're doing actively is language. So as Rahul mentioned, we're, you know, we're translating the app into many different languages. I think that is a reality of India. We're launching, you know, vernacular search the ability to search by voice. So even people who don't have the ability necessarily to you know, read or write can be able to you know, speak and find the products that they need. So those are a couple of initiatives we're doing on app to get to that next level. I also think, you know, just more tactically on the marketing side, we're trying to be a lot more thoughtful about very regional specific marketing, really working with influencers and celebrities that are much more local. We do think that there's you know, considerable upside there as well. And uh, finally, I do feel that the omni-channel strategy with these, you know, over 90 stores that we have today, a huge chunk of them are actually not in metros and they're in smaller towns and cities. And I think, uh, you know, beauty is a category where people need to touch and feel, particularly if they're first-time users. So having a little bit of a physical footprint in those stores helps us reach a wider base as well. 
interested in your your point you touched on the sort of multiple languages for your site how many languages are we talking just out of interest do you need to be uh sort of focusing on to hit the market that you want to reach for now we're just focusing on one which is hindi um so adding hindi you know to the english that we had but i think you know my sense is that we'd probably have to extend to maybe two or three more to have a very good reach across the country Excellent. Really interesting to to hear from both of you. The sort of what's going on, both from a from a business point of view, from a corporate point of view, from uh, from startups. Um, Raul, you mentioned some government as well. What we're doing to try and advance inclusion here. Looks like there's a lot going on. Good that there is sentiment, of course, from business leaders for a survey that we did that they are putting significant time and, and effort into these non financial returns their obligations as a, as a business to focus on the societal benefits not just revenue profit generation as well so it's a really positive lots more we could cover but unfortunately we are out of time so we are going to have to leave it there i want to thank you both very much for your thought and input over the last sort of 20 25 minutes here and thank you as well to all of our listeners for spending this time with us hopefully you've been listening to this whole series of now for next leaders dialogue podcast discussions and have, have learned a lot more about the Indian market and business sentiments and what we're doing in terms of trying to manage the challenges and and take advantages of the the opportunities which are there but for more on that now for next leaders dialogue you can visit the now for next.in content hub where again that research is sitting as well Today's conversation, as I mentioned earlier, was sponsored by Google. And as always, if you have any feedback or questions about this podcast or any aspect of work from Economist Impact, you can email to asiaperspectives at economist.com. I want to thank you again. A big thank you to both of my speakers, to Advata and to Rahul today. Thank you very much for your time. And a big thank you from the editorial team at The Economist Impact to all of our listeners out there for joining us. Please do subscribe to make sure you don't miss an episode. Thank you.